close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brendan Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 60. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing all right, Brennan. How are you doing? I'm excited to get into today's episode. We are doing ghosts along the Mississippi. You can't go wrong with a river and ghosts. No, because uh, what I learned is the South is scary. (laughs) Why is the South so scary? Well, I don't know specifically why, but I'll just say that in putting together stories for this episode, because I've also been working on another episode uh, about a West Coast city, and the ones from the South... Some of them are quite sweet, yeah. but when they get scary, my God, they get scary. Interesting. So, uh, I'm looking forward to getting into those, but before we do, um, how you been? I've been good. I, uh, I had my dreaded MRI. Of course. Last week. And I have to say a special thank you to Rin who did check in on me on the weekend and made sure I got through it. So thank you for that. But I, you know, one of the ways I dealt with the stress and panic of having this procedure was I took some special chocolate. Yes. That's someone very handsome. Provided for you. Yes. And I might have taken a little too much. Yes, you did. Um, as a result, after my procedure, uh, my friend, um, I made her take me to Burger King and I proceeded to eat three Whoppers. I don't really recall yeah. eating said yeah. Whoppers. I did see it on my credit card <laughs> statement. And <laughs> and I have the text messages, which became oh, in, God. Uh, it, less and less coherent. Were they? Oh, yes. There were, I could make out the words, <laughs> but only just. I was trying to play one of my little games. And I'm, I was sitting there looking at it going, I don't know what to do now. Nope. Nope. No, that applies to texting God. too. Because I, I eventually just stopped texting because I thought, <laughs> you need to sleep. <laughs> I didn't. Really? I didn't. Not until nighttime. No. I was awake the whole time. I am impressed. Yeah. No, I was just, woo, flying on the cloud. <laughs> but the other thing I did was I also made my friend take me to the dollar store. Of course he did. The first thing I recalled of it was the next day when she handed me a bag of stuff. And I'm like, mm, what's this? And she <laughs> said, this, these are your purchases from the dollar store. And in them, I bought something for you. Oh, dear. Yeah. So I think you really like it, um, especially as it is June. There you go, buddy. Oh, <laughs> you dirty hey, motherfucker. it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was High Ian. It wasn't oh, regular oh, Ian. Right. Well, as, so, I, I'll, as soon as I see High Ian, I'm going to punch him <laughs> in his high face. Ian has given me a best dad ever mug. It is so awesome. So, uh, of course, my unchildren, <laughs> Nathaniel and Kiki, will appreciate them. this. Yes, I, I made the mistake of posting a picture from Quasar's Arcade the other day on Instagram. And you saying, got ripped, going right? to Well, I made the joke, okay. going to visit the kids. <laughs> and I thought, oh, everyone will kind of go, ho-ho. And no, 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 this was a mistake. Why? What happened? Oh, they had much fun with it at my expense. <laughs> which I invited, which is fine. But uh, Well, with Kiki starting soccer this year, Nathaniel at band camp, it's a great year for you as a dad. I hate you with the fire of a thousand suns. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the mug. Don't break it. I will treasure it always. Good. I think you should use it. And I think there needs to be a picture of it going out ASAP. We will make sure that happens. Thank you. Yes. Then thank you. Hi, Ian Ian. is happy. Thank you all the Ians. (laughs) How about you? How was your week? Probably less uh, adventurous. 
Considerably, yes. <laughs> I got my contract for work, so it looks Good. like I'm back to work pretty soon. Congratulations. Thank you very yes. much. And uh, that is about the only interesting thing I have done. So I figure we'll just get right to the good stuff. Okay. We do have a musical guest on this episode. Yes. The band is Bad Custer. The song is Bones Like Lightning. It's from their self-titled debut album, which was released on January 28th, 2018. You can find more from them at badcuster.bandcamp.com and of course on all the major streaming platforms. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a little break and when we come back, Ghosts Along the Mississippi. You know I mean to kill her, Lord And I know that it's a crime She'll be dead in the flower bed Now we be doing time I pack my pistols one shot each So they don't think it's suicide She'll burn in hell while I rest in jail And I'll ease my troubled mind Welcome back. So as I said before the break, this episode is all ghost stories set along the Mississippi River. I quite Pretty literally cool. followed the river on Google Maps and just randomly Googled town names. That is such a cool idea. That's a great way to do that. No, it was... Uh, Would have been fun. Yeah, but it was fun and time consuming. And <laughs> the, the guys put also this. The yeah. guys put a lot of work into this one. Yeah. So I'm excited to get to it. Have you have you been to the Mississippi? Have you sort of? You know of... what? It's the only part of the United States I have not been to. I may be going there in September. We're about down to... through the South because the, the, I know that the Mississippi River starts in Minnesota, right, and then goes all the way down. I think it enters into the Gulf of Mexico at Plaquemines Parish in Louisiana. Ooh. So it, it extends through. I want to say parts of Kentucky. Tennessee, yeah, re- actually runs right through Memphis, I think. Oh, okay, or past Memphis. Okay, can't remember the other states, but so you're. But whereabouts in the south? I think we end up somewhere in Louisiana. Oh, okay, interesting. I don't know all the details. Um, I've been to Florida, but I think anybody who's from the south will tell you that Florida doesn't really count as part of the south. Okay, um, that's what I've heard. Um, I was on a cruise ship from Maryland, so I went Maryland, Florida. Right, the Caribbean. Gotcha, gotcha. So, and I've always wanted to see. I've seen the northern eastern coast. I've never seen kind of the deep south. So, I have a real affection for the deep south. I, I I've been to Louisiana a few times. I've only been outside of New Orleans on one trip. Right, but I loved it. I I rented a car, and I went from New Orleans all the way down to southeasternmost tip of the state. It's down to Venice, mm. Louisiana. Then back up across to Homa, uh, and of course, I've always, that's where I had sort of my haunted road story. Right. But uh, no, I, I quite like the South. I mean, I know there are problematic things. We're not, that's not our show's problem, but uh, yeah. I do like the South. And yeah. It's as, the culture. I, I think the culture is really interesting. Yeah. And as I said, there are some fantastic ghost stories. One of my favorite book series is set in Louisiana, the um, True Blood of course. Not for- the TV show. I, I mean, I TV show's you- fine. Light porn is never a bad thing. But um, the, <laughs> the book series, I actually developed a pretty serious crush on the narrator of the uh, book series because she was able to give voice to all the characters. Right. And she just had bang on accents and inflections. And so I would listen to the audiobooks and go walking every day. And I literally listened to every single book, which is unlike me. I'm more of a 
hands-on reader kind of guy. Right. Not with these. Interesting. Loved them. I remember you gave me uh, the, uh, the, the audio editions. Yeah, the that's audible. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still haven't listened to it. Oh, good. Thanks for doing that. No problem. Not always taking me seriously. Who are you again? <laughs> <laughs> one day. One of these one days. One of these days you'll be bored enough. That's exactly it. I'll have plowed through all the podcasts. And yeah. You know what happened is I, I will get locked into something. Something I'll start listening to something. And even if it's boring, I won't stop. I know. You get obsessed. So, yeah. I think maybe you need to reevaluate some time limits. You might be right. <laughs> but in the meantime. In the let's meantime, let's get back to stories. Mississippi. Yes. We're going to start in Minnesota. Perfect. And this story is called The Lady. Back when we lived in St. Paul, Minnesota, my friend Jim and I used to go late night fishing for catfish along the Mississippi River. Or at least we did until we met the lady. I don't remember the year anymore, but it was before they bulldozed the woods along Concord Street in South St. Paul, where the dog park is now just west of Pig's Eye Lake. We didn't leave for the river until after 9pm because we always figured night fishing was best, and on this particular occasion my little brother Randy decided to join us. Before the dog park, the woods along the river were thick, and to get to the shore you had to leave the paved trail and hike a ways through the brush. We'd been fishing for a good hour or so when we decided to build ourselves a little fire, and then got back to it. Around 11pm a Hispanic woman, who appeared to be in her late 20s or early 30s, walked out of the woods and asked us if we had seen a little child wandering in the forest. Jim told her we hadn't seen anyone, and she didn't speak again, just walked right back out the way she'd come. Thinking nothing of it, we went back to the river's edge to do our thing. A little later, Jim was facing the woods and hooking up a nightcrawler when suddenly he jumped back so far and fast he plowed right into me. If I hadn't been solidly fixed where I was, we both would have tumbled ass over tea kettle right into the Mississippi. When I asked him what the hell was going on, he just stammered that we had to put out the fire, ditch the fish, and get the hell out of the woods, like now. Randy was surprised and disappointed that we were going home, but Jim was so pale he didn't ask any questions, even when Jim collected all our flashlights and said we were going to have to navigate back to the car by moonlight. Reaching the paved trail was some relief, but Jim's mania by this point having infected all of us, no one relaxed fully till we'd made it back to the car. With the engine on and the radio playing, I finally felt secure enough to look at Jim and ask him just what the hell was going on. Turns out what spooked him while he was hooking that eyecrawler was a tall, white, humanoid figure leaping out of the woods at him. It disappeared almost immediately, but it was enough. In the same moment, he said, it occurred to him how little sense it made that some lady would be wandering the woods at night looking for her kid, let alone one as calm as she was. That was when Randy piped up, asking what lady we were talking about, because he'd been with us the entire time and never heard anyone but us speaking. Yikes. And that, kids, is why you don't go in the woods ever. <laughs> The end, period. The, the woods are trying to kill you. The end. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, we're doing wow. it. We're actually doing another Woods episode. I'm just going to call it that. The woods are trying to kill you. <laughs> the end. <laughs> it's not even the animals in the woods. It's just generally. Just the woods. Yeah, just, just the, woods. the woods. The woods in the, the river. The trees are angry. Holy smokes. Wow. That's a pretty scary story. I would n not, again, I don't go fishing, period, but I wouldn't go again. Not at night. Good. Well, yeah, I guess night fishing. This well, that's a thing for catfish, I think. Like, oh, right, right, yeah, because right. um, that's when they're active. Right. But no, you couldn't compel me. I don't know. You'd have to say something pretty impressive to me to get me into the woods at night. <laughs> like, I'm even uncomfortable driving through the woods at night. Yeah, as so, well you should be. Yeah, yeah. I remember, since you mentioned that, I remember driving through the Payette National Forest in Idaho. It was nighttime, and I, I ended up staying in... Not in Payette, Idaho, but I had to stop in Payette to gas up or something. And then I, I ended up driving through these woods and 
the trees were quite close to the road. So they would scrape the car sometimes. <laughs> so as if it wasn't bad enough, I'm driving through the dark, my headlights barely providing any illumination at all. I'm continually peeing myself just a little because I think I'm feeling hands scraping oh, down the side or hearing no. his hands on the side of my car. No. I did not sleep well that night. I, uh, driving out to Tanny's house one night, you know that road. Yep. Oh, how could I forget? Covered over in trees and twisty turning. I hadn't had time to put the roof up. On the car. Oh, yeah. And so I'm driving through there around a oh, little after. Oh, no. Yes. A little after 11 o'clock at night, pitch black, and the roof's down. And I felt genuinely unsafe. I don't know why. That you didn't shit the car <laughs> was a testament to your internal fortitude. And to clarify, the car I have is not a fancy, like, convertible. It's oh, like no, a, your car is garbage. It's a 22-year-old Toyota. Yeah, uh, no, that's a Volkswagen. Oh, Paseo. Paseo. Oh, pardon me. Yeah, imported from California, I might add. Oh, yeah. Well, it's insured for up to $100. <laughs> they asked me what the declared value was, and I started lifting up everything that was wrong with it. And he's like, so 100 bucks." I'm yeah. like, yeah, good. <laughs> and you didn't pay much more than that for it. No, no. God, no. Well, that's something no. at least. But it's a fun car. But scary at night, apparently, in the woods, in the dark. It's like, yeah, fun, like a roller coaster that might fall apart. Oh, yeah. Like the roller coaster, the West Edmonton no Mall. Bar or, yeah, <laughs> there's no roll bar or anything. If that car goes over, oh, you I, will am, die. I am road jam. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Oh, it's a fun adventure. Jesus. Crayons. This story takes place in my hometown of St. Louis, Missouri, in our haunted family home. I still live in the city, but have long since moved away from that house. My parents still live there, though, and claim that the house is no longer haunted ever since it was blessed. Throughout my childhood, there were many incidents, but one I vividly remember took place when I was about 13 years old. I have a younger brother named Carlos, and at the time, he was 10. My mother was a janitor at an elementary school and had brought home a very large bucket of crayons, so Carlos and I spent the rest of the day coloring in our room. At about 9 p.m., my father said it was time for bed. Carlos and I shared a very small room with bunk beds. He got the bottom and I got the top. We didn't much feel like going to sleep, so I took a handful of crayons and climbed to the top bunk where I started throwing them down at Carlos. He would then throw some back at me. We were laughing loudly and getting pretty rowdy, so my father stormed into our bedroom and yelled at us. Carlos and I feared our father, probably wisely, so we quickly cleaned up all the crayons and threw them back in the bucket. We were so afraid of him that when we went back to bed, we slept together on the bottom bunk and passed it right away. It was about midnight when Carlos woke me up. He told me he was scared and that I should look out the door down the stairs. Our bedroom door was right in front of the steps that led to the downstairs reception lobby area, and when I looked, I could see the light in the lobby flicking on and off in a pattern. The switch was the kind that made a loud click when you flick it, so it made a lot of noise going on and off like that. What's more, we could see the switch flicking up and down, but no one was doing it. We both grew very frightened, but being older, I didn't want him to know how bad it really was, so I told him that the switch is probably defective and he should ignore it. I turned away from the steps and fell back asleep. What must have been a couple of hours later, Carlos woke me up again. The door to our room was closed now, and the room itself was pitch black. He told me he was scared again, because he could hear what sounded like crayons hitting the wall out in the dark. I listened for a few seconds, and that's exactly what it sounded like. I was very afraid, but still pulled out a flashlight that we kept under the bed. 
When I turned it on and looked around the room, I saw nothing. No crayons flying against the walls. In fact, nothing out of the ordinary at all, even though the noise had not stopped. Finally, we fell asleep again. And when we woke the next morning, to our surprise, the walls were covered in tiny little dotted markings, as though someone had, yes, been throwing crayons against them, and the offending art supplies were all over the floor. We were terrified. We cleaned up the crayons and threw them away, then told everyone in the house what had happened. But being that Carlos and I were the youngest of all the children, and everyone thought we were immature, they just refused to believe us. And... That's the thing about being kids, man. Yeah. When when stuff like this happens, they just, you know, because it's such a crazy thing. Yeah. Everyone just says, oh, yeah, I'm sure you did. You it's little, your imagination. Yeah, you little bastard. Now yeah. clean up the mess you made. <laughs> There's actually a story uh, later that really I feel for the kid because she, it, if you read between the lines, her home life doesn't sound great. Right. Or, I mean, this was when she was younger. It didn't sound great. Right. And when she goes to someone for help, there's no help. Oh, man. And I just, you know, it reminds me of, you know, is it being a kid, yeah. being helpless. And, and But just to pose that, uh, we got a story in today uh, where um, she went and told her parents. Right. And her parents didn't say the usual parenty things like, you're making it up, or that's not true, or no such okay. thing. They said, it's okay. Oh, well. It won't hurt you. Right. Don't worry about it. That's great. So they didn't, you know, um, dismiss her. Right. They just sort of affirmed that, yeah, what you're seeing is real, but it's not going to hurt you. So that's, that's cool. I was impressed by that. No kidding. Yeah. This story's called Baby Blues. When Grandma was young, her family moved to a little town in Lincoln County, Missouri. The house they moved into, unbeknownst to them, was rumored to be haunted by the cries of an infant. They moved in, and the first night as they lay down to go to sleep, they heard crying coming from outside the house. Grandma's mother, Granny Jay, told the kids it was just the neighbor's child and to go back to sleep. The children, Grandma included, all fell back into their slumbers while listening to the crying baby. The next morning, Granny Jay went next door to meet the neighbors and mentioned to the lady of the house that she must have had her hands full last night with the baby. Well, that lady told her she doesn't have a baby, that all her children were of working age. She also added that the family should start looking for another home. She said no one lives there longer than three months before moving again. Wow. This is a lousy neighbor. <laughs> no kidding. Don't get comfortable. <laughs> don't unpack. You'll be out soon. Don't tell me your name. I don't want to take up the mental space. That's right. <laughs> she finished the conversation by saying that place is haunted. Later that night, my grandmother remembers listening to her mother, Granny, talking to her father about the conversation with the neighbor lady. She stayed quiet because she didn't want the other kids to know and be scared. The crying continued, not every night, but often enough for the memory of it to not fade away. Where was this baby? Why was it crying so often? I say that about real babies. <laughs> Why do you keep making noise? Can't we make it stop? Can you put it back? That All doesn't work, I've learned. No. Yeah. I'm not allowed back in that maternity ward. <laughs> No, Mr. Store, you have to leave. They don't go for you that. can't keep coming back here. Why is that tracker not working? <laughs> That's right, yeah. I've got an ankle bracelet. <laughs> I get shocked. <laughs> but it's not my neck. Oh, my God. <laughs> the crying continued, not every night, but often enough for the memory of it to not fade away. Where was this baby? Why was it crying so often? About a month later, they had some friends come through, and they happened to stay the night. The adults stayed up late and playing spoons and other card games. This is a long time ago. There was a nasty storm coming through. Grandma remembers hearing wind howling and the crash of thunder every once in a while. All of a sudden, the family heard a loud crash in the backyard, followed by the loudest thunder roll they had ever heard. The sound shook the entire house. 
Her father looked into the backyard and the large oak tree had fallen over. There's another oak tree later, interestingly enough. Oh. The next morning, her father had a few of the neighborhood men help cut the tree up. Remember, this was a time before chainsaws. As they started cutting up the tree, one of the men spotted a box near the root system and called out for him to come check it. He inspected the small box and decided to open it and see what it held. The lid was tough, but no match for a man determined to get it open. Inside, he found a small skeleton of an infant wrapped in an old cloth, wearing an aged dress that used to be white. Granny, after seeing what the men had found, sent her oldest son down to the sheriff. He came down to the house and was puzzled. The child had to have been there at least 50 years from the look of it. He told everyone that the only thing to do was give the child a proper burial in the city cemetery. The neighborhood gathered so that this small child that no one knew could have a proper funeral. The mothers cooked and sent the children to collect flowers while a few of the men went to dig the hole. Grandma said after that there was no more crying, no weird feelings in the home, and everything was perfectly normal. It was a few years until the family moved, and the only reason for the move was so Grandpa could have a better job in the city of St. Louis. Granny told everyone that that poor baby just wanted them to know it was there. And boy, did they ever. Yeah, no kidding. That is... Yikes. Yeah, no. If I find a small box... Don't open buried it. ...buried at the base of a tree, I'm putting it back. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not you that You have curious. such an adventurous soul. No, no, oh, no. Oh, man. I, I would 100% open that box. Really? I am so dumb. Well, there might be money in it. There's never money in it. It's always <laughs> a dead something. It's always a dead something. Yeah, always a dead something. You kind of open, at best, it's going to be a cat. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. You're, yeah, if you're lucky. The Orb. As a child, I went to a small, private, religious high school located east of the Mississippi River, but west of the Appalachian Mountains. I wasn't as religious a kid as you might think, but I still went to church every Sunday with my folks. I suppose you could say we were living the solidly middle-class American dream. Every year at my high school, a select group of the student body was chosen to go to a week-long fellowship and team-building camp, which was located in the southern part of the state. It was a religiously affiliated camp, like the kind that businesses sometimes send management employees to in order to learn leadership skills, only this was more of the church-oriented type. My friends and I were able to go every year, I assume because we were both academically and socially successful, as well as at least nominally religious, and these trips were some of the best times of my life. I'm having flashbacks because I went to a Christian high school in grade 10. Oh, wow. And we went to a church camp very much like this. Right. All I got out of it was a ping pong to the ping pong ball to the eye. Really? Yeah. My eye went completely bloodshot and it was really horrible. So I'm glad this guy had a good time at church camp, but <laughs> did not work out so hot for the old <laughs> Ian. For the Gibster. For the Gibster. You know, I'm traumatized when I start referring to myself as a third, third person. person. It is difficult to describe, but the feelings of freedom and camaraderie were intense and intoxicating. We would run through the moonlit woods, planning manhunt and fighting with sticks. And I get this, when you go to camp, did you ever go to camp? No. I never went as a camper, um, unless it was a school, but I went as a counselor. Right. And there is this weird bonding that takes place. Right. Like, these are just the greatest people you've ever met, and you are going to love them for the rest of your life. I don't like anyone, so it's hard for me to imagine. (laughs) You should have gone to camp more. I guess so. Yeah. But it really does feel that way. It's quite extraordinary. Anyway, it's difficult to describe, but the feelings of freedom and camaraderie were intense and intoxicating. We would run through the moonlit woods planning manhunt and fighting with sticks, both sort of against the rules. I once lay in hiding, belly against the ground, completely invisible in the night in an old woodland surplus jacket for an hour while my entire team was picked off. 
I was the only survivor, which was an amazing feeling for a kid who never really excelled in any physical activity. The whole place had sort of a magical air to it, and so naturally there were ghost stories that fluttered around the cabins and woods. I remembered one in particular about an old caretaker who died peacefully in his sleep. It was said that on some nights you could see an orange glow in the distance through the trees, the embers of his cigarette, as he walked the grounds even in death. It was an interesting story to be so popular at a religious camp. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Years later, while attending college in the south of the state, I visited the home of a college friend and was stunned to discover he lived right next to that camp and had even worked there during the summer. So on a cloudless August night, with the moon full and brilliant, we walked out into the campgrounds together. It was deserted, and I could feel goosebumps crawl over my skin as I walked the familiar paths. The wind through the trees the familiar cabins, memories flooding through my mind. It was an amazing night, and we were completely alone, far from any main road deep in the country. As we concluded our night tour, we returned to my friend's home. Between his home and the property line of the park was an expansive open field, roughly four to 500 yards. It was beautiful in a stark way, and I felt like I was on another planet. We made it about three-fourths of the way across the field when I stopped and turned back so I could see the tree line of the camp property one more time, my friend turning with me. We both saw, inside the trees about 400 yards away, a red-orange orb. It was floating, slowly through the forest, and I vividly remember watching it pass in front of me. It's difficult to say because of the distance and time that has passed since then, but I remember it seemed like it was about the size of a man's fist, some six or seven feet off the ground. At first I thought it was a vertical taillight, but there was no road, no headlights, no sound, and only a single orange light. We stood in complete silence and watched it pass through the trees. After about half a minute, it simply vanished. It didn't fade out or move out of sight. It just disappeared. I confirmed that my friend had seen it as well, and we laughed it off, but for some reason remained rooted to the spot. It took some minutes before we turned and continued on our way. Huh. That's kind of cool that um, that childhood ghost story sort of yeah came, you know, in some fashion came to be. Yeah, it's kind of a fascinating example of how sometimes these lore, are, how sometimes lore is rooted in something that actually happened. Right, You yeah. just come up with an explanation for it. You wrap an explanation around it because that's what we like to do. As yeah, because so-and-so died. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all about the packaging, really. So true. <laughs> the Black Room. When I was very young, my grandmother told me a story from when she was a girl. She said she'd played with a Ouija board, and strange things began to happen to her. Sometimes I wonder if that somehow set me up for my own lifetime of unusual encounters, the first of which happened when I was 11. We were living in a trailer park in Osceola, Missouri. It was my mother who kept the house, me, and my father, who was a truck driver. Most of my days were spent with my grandmother, who was 62 at the time and not exactly a favorite in the family. She had a way of acting odd and doing things that didn't quite make sense. I got used to it, though. Kids are good at that. And most of her behavior barely registered until one particular day. I was coming home from school and kept feeling a strange sensation, like an electrical buzzing all around my body. When I got home, my grandmother was sitting at the kitchen counter, a Pepsi in one hand and the ever-present lit cigarette dangling from her lip. But something seemed off. I couldn't quite put my finger on why. Nevertheless, I set my backpack down and started to watch television. As I recall, I Love Lucy reruns were on, and they were a favorite in our house. 
As I was watching, I noticed a black smear in the corner of my eye nearest the kitchen, which drew my attention back to my grandmother, who was still sitting there smoking, and I didn't think anything of it. When I got up to get a drink, things took a turn. Out of nowhere, my grandmother got angry, and it put a look on her face I'd never seen before. She told me I was in trouble for something I didn't do, that I hadn't even had time to do since coming home, and told me to go to my room. It was so out of the blue that at first I thought she was fooling around, but... Then when I realized she was serious, I tried to protest my innocence, and she wasn't having it. Into my room I went. I sat in my cold room for about an hour, watching the sun slowly set outside. Being a kid, I was afraid to leave my room for fear of getting into further trouble, so to stave off boredom, I decided to just take a nap to pass the time. That's when things got worse. The electrical buzzing sensation I'd felt on the walk home returned. So strong it woke me up. It was pitch dark when I opened my eyes, so I assumed it was nighttime. I got up to open the shades of my windows, but they weren't there. It felt like I was blind and in some strange place, and I tried to run around my bedroom only to stumble over a strange block that shouldn't have been there. I started to yell for help, hoping my mother would have come home or my grandmother would have come around, but no one responded. Like any kid, I jumped back into my bed and covered my head with the sheets. That's when I felt a long, cold breath behind me. I turned and saw a shadow, somehow darker than the room itself making a light, whispery hiss noise, like air rushing through a small crack. I screamed my throat sore and again tried running around the pitch-dark room trying to find a way out. And that's when the thing said my name, in a kind of throttled, gargled voice beneath the air itself. Shortly after that, I tripped over the strange block, and when I opened my eyes again on the ground, everything was normal, like nothing had happened. I stormed out of my room screaming and crying and ran straight to my parents, of course, they didn't believe me, and my grandmother swore she'd never pushed me into my bedroom or blame me for anything. My father looked at me strangely, then. It was almost like he was angry. I have no answers. Wow. Yeah. That would be an incredibly upsetting experience. No kidding. And the reason why, well, I, I think there's a lot of reasons this scores with me, some reasons, some of which I'm not going to get into on a public podcast, but this isn't the first time I've heard this. Right. When I, weirdly, when I did my driving instruction, or sorry, my driving exam. Right. Because I, I didn't get my driver's license until I, was t until I was 27. Right. The instructor told me a story like this. Holy cow, really? Yeah. She said when she was a girl, she was at home and the room went black. There was no door. And she couldn't figure out what was happening. And she screamed, she cried. Nothing. Wow. And then she, I, I can't remember what exactly what happened. I think someone opened a door and all of a sudden everything was normal. Yeah, I can't remember how it ended, but it's terrifying. And she bizarrely, because this girl thought that her grandmother's playing with a Ouija board had something to do right. with it. I remember this girl saying, or she was a woman by the time I met her, but she said something similar. So there's these parallels, but yeah. this is Osceola, Missouri. And this was, I believe she lived in Nanaimo at the time. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. And I mean, the, the grandmother behaving strangely thing too, that, that reminds me of a story from my book, uh, strange little place available <laughs> everywhere. Fine books are sold. Oh my You're God. You're never too scared to sell your book. <laughs> Buy it. <laughs> I got to pay my rent. <laughs> but, um, there was a family who lived in a house near the graveyard and they, I remember the mother told me, she said there was a rage in there. And I don't know if I included the story in the book, I may have done, but the, uh, the daughter said that 
her stepfather one day got mad at her for no apparent reason. He was sitting outside on the stoop and when she, he was raging. And when she looked at his eyes, they were black. Mm. Now I, I, she's a little bit of a storyteller that one. So I don't know if that's a hundred percent true, but right. the parallel is interesting. Someone wow. behaving in a, in a way that was con- yeah. totally unnatural in a house where things weren't right. Right. And the electrical buzzing thing fascinates me yeah. too. Yeah. Because I mean, that mirrors my own shadow people yeah. stories. Yeah. And that one story I heard on coast to coast a long time ago where the guy was playing with his friends when he was a little kid. And they saw that all black hand peek out, or jut out rather from behind a corner. Right. And it made a sizzling sound like electricity or, right. or like yeah, just a sizzling sound yeah. as it moved up and down. And then when they went around the corner, there was no one there. Mm. So I, I don't know, but that really bothered me. Yeah. I could see why. The car. So I live out in the Midwest and every few months I trek back home to see my family on the East coast. Having done this 15-hour drive three to four times per year over the last six years, I can say with some authority that it's very boring, and about the only good thing about it is that it gives my dog and I time to think. I like the dog has time to think, too. Then two years ago, that changed, and my experience was almost enough to convince me to never go again. Every time I take this trip, I leave late in the evening, usually between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m. in order to avoid traffic in some of the major cities, so I'm often the only car on the road for most of my trip. Memphis, Tennessee was one of those major cities, and on this particular trip two years ago, everything was normal, till that point. The music was blasting, my dog was sleeping, and I was thinking about all the chores my folks were going to have me doing once I got home. Just past Memphis, I-40 branches off to I-22, or at least it does now. At the time of this story, I-22 didn't yet exist, and so my options were a longer route through the mountains on a better road, that's the 40 or the roads that would become I-22, which cut across Mississippi and Alabama, and are technically shorter but less traveled. On this trip, I didn't feel like dealing with the mountains, so I opted for 22, which was wide open and almost empty. There was the odd gas station by the side of the road, but before the interstate came, the gas stations closed nights, so I truly felt alone as I cut through the night. As I made my way across Mississippi, I began to suspect the lack of sleep was catching up to me, because I could have sworn I saw a dark vehicle in my rear view. I looked back and saw nothing, so I dismissed it and kept going. Then a while later, I saw headlights coming towards me. I remember thinking, where the hell are they going at this time of night, and chuckled, imagining them saying the same about me. Then the headlights disappeared. I've got a military background, so it takes a lot to scare me, meaning my first thought wasn't, Oh shit, it's a ghost, but rather, oh shit, they must have crashed. So I immediately pulled over and ran across the median looking for tire marks to lead me to the wreck. I looked for 10 minutes. I couldn't find anything. I seriously thought I was losing my mind. My cell was back in the truck, so I recrossed the highway, grabbed it, and went to 911 to report a possible accident when I noticed a little ways past there where I thought the car had crashed what appeared to be taillights. I watched them for a minute then realized they were getting brighter and closer. So I got back out of the truck to try and flag the driver down to see if they were okay. The car, illuminated by my headlights, flew past me in reverse, and I could plainly see there was no one in it. The car disappeared over the rise of the hill behind me and vanished out of sight. I got back in my truck and drove to the nearest town as fast as I could and sat there till daylight trying to figure out what had just happened to me. To this day, I have no idea what I saw or why. I feel like a lot of the stories tonight are ending with Jesus, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I mean, that's more or less what it boils down to. Yep. 
Yeah. And you know what? That's the kind of story where, um, you know, you and I have both been on like radio shows or whatever right. people call in. And I love it when they say, well, I've never actually had a ghost experience, but. Yeah, I did have a tell an unmanned spectral car yes. appearing and disappearing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, or I don't know if I believe in ghosts, but. <laughs> yeah. And then they tell a rather compelling tale. Wasn't no ghost. It was just a murderous car. Yeah. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> Stephen There's King m- wrote about it. It's that, totally cool. Yeah, in that great documentary, Christie. Yeah. Stephen King described. (laughs) Exactly. Good night, love. When I was 14 years old, my great-grandfather Harry passed away in the home where he'd spent most of his life. Two months later, my mother began to have medical issues of her own, and so I had to go stay in my great-grandfather's house with his daughter, my grandmother. The house was in the Mississippi Delta, and was nothing much to look at. It was run down and smelled like old cigarettes and death. You might think that's an exaggeration, but by the time I was 20, four members of my family had died there, so it's got a history and I was not thrilled to have to stay there overnight. No matter where I went, it felt like someone was looking at me, and while I managed to finally drift off to sleep, I was up again around 2am and talked myself into going for a pee. I sprinted to the bathroom and did my business without any additional weirdness, so I figured there was no harm in going to the kitchen for a soda and snack. This was optimistic. In the kitchen, the fridge is next to the sink, and on the other side of the sink is the entrance to the pantry and the garage. Being this is the Delta, there are lots of wild animals that can get into that space. I've found raccoons, cats, and snakes in there before. So that night I walked in, grabbed a soda from the fridge, and then headed to the pantry for a bite to eat. Just as I was passing the sink, I heard a thud, followed by some rustling. My assumption was that another animal had gotten in, so I grabbed the broom and prepared to scoot whatever it was right on out of there. I took a deep breath, swung the door open, and prepared to start swinging at anything feral, but instead I saw a man. I could quite clearly see his face, the yellow plaid shirt he was wearing buttoned to the top button, khakis, and a belt. It took me a very long time to understand that I was looking into the face of one of my favorite people on earth, my recently deceased grandfather Harry, who so recently died in exactly that same outfit. I just stood there, agape, so he smiled and said, Good night, love. Then he turned and disappeared. I don't know whether or not I screamed, but I do know I ran immediately to my grandmother's room and woke her up. When she heard my story, she gave a little laugh and said, well, shit, you saw him too? (laughs) That's cool grandma. That's a pretty great grandma. (laughs) I I will, however, say if my dead relatives ever pull that shit on me, I will call the Ghostbusters. I do not care. (laughs) You can't call the Ghostbusters on your relatives. I beg to differ. (laughs) Madeline. In 2008, my wife and I were on a road trip and made a stop in Natchez, Mississippi. We decided to stay the night at a former plantation house turned in a restaurant, the Monmouth Historic Inn. As we made our way to the room, our bellman advised us that the in-house dining room wasn't to be missed, but they were full up for the night and recommended we take a reservation for the next day. Unrelated to my ghost story, we did in fact go there the following night, and if you're ever in Natchez, make sure you check it out. For that first night, the bellman recommended the King's Tavern, a pub a short drive away from the Monmouth. And so around 6 p.m., we made our way over and found the restaurant nearly empty. As I recall, the dining room was rather dark and somber. We were quickly seated and given a menu along with a printout of the building's history and a photocopied newspaper article. Good grief. You get a menu and a building history and here's a newspaper article. And... Service is slow. Get comfortable. <laughs> here's something to read. <laughs> I am the chef and the waitress, so brace yourself. Also the local police chief. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and if you need a coffin, I'm your gal. We were quickly seated and given a menu, along with a printout of the building's history and a photocopied newspaper article, which described the building as being haunted by the spirit of a girl named Madeline. The details elude me now, but I do remember you were invited to visit her bedroom on the third floor if you wanted a shot at experiencing a visit from her. The writer of the article stated that while she was dining there, a heavy iron chain hung on the wall by her table began to swing to and fro on its own. Sure enough, when I looked for it, there was the chain on the wall right beside our table, though it stayed put. As the night went on, I teased my wife, trying to scare her a bit, by asking Madeline to show herself, or at least move the chain. Of course, nothing happened. During dessert, I asked my wife if she wanted to go up to Madeline's bedroom on the third floor and was met with a hearty nope, but I decided to go by myself anyway. Oh, see, I wouldn't. I'd be like, no, I'm good. <laughs> it was a bedroom, nothing more, nothing less. And even though the legends say that sometimes Madeline's bed is still warm to the touch, that night it wasn't happening. Again, I suggested the spirit making an appearance with no response. Back downstairs, I told my wife she hadn't missed anything, then took a drink of my coffee. It tasted and smelled like perfume, which had not been the case when I'd had some before going upstairs. I gave my wife a little smile and asked if she was getting a little revenge for me trying to scare her, and she looked at me like I was the dumbest man alive. She said the waitress hadn't even been near the table, and I knew that she herself never wore perfume because of my allergies. As we were leaving, I told the hostess about the perfumed coffee, and she just said, uh, I guess Madeline likes you. We returned to our room and went to bed a few hours later. Sometime during the night, I awoke, and the first thing I realized was I couldn't move. I looked to my right, and there was a white apparition standing or floating right beside me. I could see through it to the painting on the wall, and while I couldn't make out the facial features very well, it was definitely a female form. I didn't feel frightened or threatened. And after a time, one minute or ten, I'm not sure, the image just faded away. I fell back to sleep and slept peacefully the rest of the night. When I told my wife what had happened in the morning, she said, well, you did ask her to make an appearance. <laughs> Dumbass. <laughs> yeah, this is very much a be careful what you wish for scenario. No kidding. I never wish for that. No, no, that's that you're asking for trouble. Yeah. The Screaming Trees. On May 8, 1541, Spanish conquistador Hernando de Soto became one of the first European explorers to ever make it as far as what is now the Mississippi River. De Soto and his contingent of 400 men crossed the river under the cover of night in hastily built flatboats to avoid the armed patrols of Native Americans and war canoes. From there, the conquistadors headed off in the direction of Arkansas looking for gold and silver. I know this not because I'm particularly great with history, but because my family's land is near to where De Soto and his men are believed to have crossed. Since those days, it's been a plantation, a dairy farm, and then a homestead, which is the time when I lived there. Before I say anything else, know that I have no mental illness, a great memory, and did very well in school. Just about the only major thing wrong with me is that I'm a middle child, but even that can be useful when you want to fly under the radar. <laughs> I say all this so you understand I'm not the kind of person to make things up, and if DeSoto had heard what I did, he'd have gone right back where he'd come from. Ever since I was young, I've seen and heard strange things in the woods in my backyard. This particular story was the worst of it, but all my life those woods have bedeviled me. It was spring 2009, and I remember waking up at 3am feeling too restless to go back to bed. This wasn't unusual in and of itself, I was a regular sleeper, but sometimes had these 3am wake-ups. When the clock hit 3.15, something in the air changed. I began feeling uneasy, and my room seemed even more still than usual, and far too quiet for comfort. 
Then, from the woods in my backyard, I started hearing an uproar. Since I live in the country, I know what bobcats, coyotes, deer, and other animals sound like making noises. Hell, I even experienced a pack of coyotes howling. But this was different. This was screaming. I jumped and went to my second-story window, which affords me a good vantage point on the woods. The screaming was definitely coming from the trees, and from one area in particular. They became louder and louder. It sounded like a horrible choir, a thousand people screaming in torment. I lifted my window up in my room and it became even louder. It lasted, from what I could tell, for three to five minutes, and suddenly everything just stopped. The next day I spoke with my family, and none of them had heard anything. My sister had even been awake at the time. I think about this constantly, and it frightens me to this day. Wow. The scre- this, this, again, what is it? Was it the, the forest is angry? Was that Screaming what we... trees. The, the forest scre- is trying to kill you? Yeah. yeah. The forest is trying to kill yeah. you. That's it. Yeah. yeah. This has just been reinforced. Um, I had some friends in Alberta who lived on a pretty high up, like top of a hill. Right. Which is quite unusual in Alberta. And they also owned the property, another good sort of 20 feet up a road that peaked out at the very top of the hill. Right. And from time to time, they would hear uh, First Nations drums chanting, singing, coming from the top of the hill. Um, They didn't know why. It wouldn't be all the time, but they'd hear it. It was very distinct. Right. So when they started to do some research on it, it turned out that because Alberta, a lot of it is so flat, that any high point was considered sacred. And so when they were going to, First Nations people wanted to do a ceremony or whatever, they would go to a high point. And this was actually one of the sacred places. Interesting. So maybe there's something like that here. I don't know. That's huh. that's what it. That's the memory it jogged in me was was that. So maybe, yeah. The woods. For a long time now, my family has owned a large parcel of land in rural Mississippi, around thirty acres in all, complete with the ruins of an old manor house and well. I've been in the ruins at nighttime, and it's creepy, sure. But any ruined building at night is creepy. No, my problem is with the woods that are also on the property and the way my mother is starting to behave towards them. For the first 20 years of my life, I lived with my mother in our family home on the property, and the only strange thing I've ever experienced is a recurring series of dreams about that general area. In one dream, there's a log cabin in those woods. In another, there's a group of semi-modern houses. In yet another, a whole city. The list goes on. I've also dreamed the area was cut bare, or that there was a river there. None of it makes any sense, I know, but that was the extent of my concern with regard to that area. My mother, though, that's another story. Three years ago, I moved away from the property, and in that time, my mother has become obsessed with the woods. Our driveway is about a half mile long in the shape of an L, and if you're heading away from the house, those woods are on the right-hand side. Lately, my mother claims she's been seeing things in the woods, particularly when she's trying to leave. Every single time she's on her way, when something draws her attention and she stops the car. She's told me that when this happens, she has to force herself to keep moving, but her every instinct is to say and just watch the forest. It's only the section on the right, though, because there are also woods in front of the house, and she has no interest in those. Tonight, out of nowhere, she said, they seem dead, but wouldn't elaborate. I'm concerned for her, but she says she doesn't feel any danger or bad intention coming from whatever it is she's seeing. She's just drawn to them and can't stop looking away. 
It's times like this that I wish we could find the people who wrote these stories or sent them into the places we find them and just say, bitch, get out the house. <laughs> or so, as your mom. Yeah. 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 I, that, yikes. Yeah. That's concerning. It does tie in with the other stories that you've talked about with the woods where people are just drawn in there. They're pulled in there or they hear voices or, yeah. and they go and it sounds like, it sounds like the woods are kind of playing the long game with this guy's mom though. <laughs> There's no, uh, get her in here and kill her. There's uh, they want something. I don't know, man. The, the dream thing reminds me of Holton house in Revelstoke. No. There's uh, the area to, if you're looking at the house, it's Mustang B and B now, but if you're looking at the house to the right there's just sort of open ground. Right. But I know I interviewed at least two different people who dream specifically about that side of the house and there being things there that aren't actually there. Oh. One person dreamed about, uh, I want to say a, a fountain and someone else dreamed about there being bodies buried. And yet another person dreamed about, as I recall, a garage full of headless corpses Urgh. standing on that spot. Jeez. Yeah. So it's, again, something interesting that multiple people had those kind of dreams. Like, yeah. About the same yeah, spot yeah, on yeah, the property. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's cool. So no, I, I'm, I'm right back to get out of the house. <laughs> Stay out of the woods. Yikes. The shadow. In December of 2004, my brother and I were taking our girlfriend and wife respectively to the Nottaway plantation in Louisiana for the Christmas tour. It was around 9.30 PM by the time we finished the tour and we all decided to eat a late dinner at the onsite restaurant. At the time, we all lived on the east bank of the Mississippi River, so to get home, we had about a 40-minute drive, which includes crossing the Sunshine Bridge. It was somewhere between 11.45 and 12.20 when we began to approach, and I reckon we were about a quarter mile out, the girls asleep in the back, when we saw the running man. We thought he was a hobo, at first, running in the middle of the street as in drunken stupor, as we've seen a few times before. My first thought was along the lines of, what kind of loser would be in the middle of the street at the foot of the bridge at this hour? My brother was driving, and as we got closer, I told him to be careful not to hit the drunken idiot who, by this point, was on his way up the bridge ramp. My brother suggested this guy was maybe trying to get himself killed and didn't want to be the one to do it, so he slowed right down, and as we got closer, I realized the figure wasn't a man. Instead, it was a shadow, in the shape of a man. The figure was trailing what appeared to be a cape, moving violently in the wind. Right before we got to the bridge, the figure stopped, turned around, and faced us. You couldn't tell from the face, obviously, but the cape rotated and was now blowing the opposite direction. There was no time to swerve. We drove right through it and braced for impact, even though none came. My brother and I screamed so loudly it woke up the women, who refused to believe us and said we were either lying or crazy. To me, it was amazing that both of us saw the same thing, and that years later it still produces an uncomfortable feeling like nothing else I've known. I hope he didn't marry the girlfriend. <laughs> you know what I love about this? Finally. Finally, we have a gender swap. Right. Where the men are like, oh my goodness, we saw a ghost. And we're like, you full of crap. That's right. I love it. Get me another beer. Get me another beer. I love it. Yay. This is a good thing. I don't know how, I guess a lot of people do. It just, that would be so frustrating. Yeah. Do you think I scream at random just for laughs? And why am I lying or crazy? And if I am, why are you with me? Yeah, also this. Right? Yeah, it, that's baffling. The pond. These stories aren't my own. Everything I'm about to describe happened to my first cousin, Lee, and his family on their property in Louisiana. Their plot of land is about an acre in total, most of it a wide open field with a huge oak tree, uh-oh, in the middle of it. It all feels odd. And Lee confirmed this for me when he told me a story of how one day he had burned the leaves at the bottom of the tree. 
Then later that night, he was jarred awake when the bed he shared with his wife, Kat, seemingly fell to the floor. Now, that story may not seem so bad, but it's not the one that keeps me up at nights. That story concerns my cousin's oldest son, Kyle, who was around five or six at the time it occurred. I remember Kat telling me Kyle was no longer allowed to play outside, which I thought was odd until she explained why. Apparently, Kyle had been playing out in the backyard, and when she called him in for lunch, he didn't respond. Cat thought he was ignoring her, so she went out there to corral him and couldn't see him anywhere. She started to panic and call his name, wandering back and forth across the property until she found him by their pond. She asked the boy, what was he doing there? And he replied, Papa, his grandfather Peter, told me to get in the water with him. Peter was at work and was nowhere near the property. Lee says he's seen figures, shapes, and the outlines of humans wandering the property on a regular basis. I have never personally seen this, but when I go down there, it always feels like I'm being watched, especially at night. Whew. Oak trees, man. Oak trees. Burn them all down. <laughs> well, that didn't work here. No, we have a lot of oak trees uh, really? around here. Huge number. We're one of the only places where Gary Oaks like grow. Oh, of course. Naturally, yeah. Interesting. That explains a few things. It really does. Huh. Did you know Walt Disney got the inspiration for the Haunted Forest in Snow White from the Gary Oak trees here in Victoria? Really? Yeah. I had no idea. I didn't either. Just read it. I'll be damned. There you go. This story really reminds me of episode 16, The Men Who Were Not There. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. That guy, that friend of mine who told me when he was a kid, they lived on a piece of sort of marshy property here in Victoria, and they would see men wandering around the flatlands with uh, clipboards. Yeah. Talking to each other and seemingly comparing notes. Yeah. But he was the only one who could see them. Or what about the other one uh, where the kids are in the trailer and, and the one kid's mom's like, come on out, come on out. Oh, of course. Yeah, right? the doppelganger. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That made me think of that. Well, there was that other story. And again, I, I believe it was from here. I, I think I've told this about a dozen times on the show, but I love it. There was a kid who um, really didn't like the house they were living in. I be, again, I believe it was in Victoria. Right. I'm pretty sure I found this in, in a Victoria site. But uh, one day his father called him from the basement. And he went downstairs to see what was up. And his father was in the far, far corner of the basement. And he said, hey, uh, come here. And the kid said, well, what do you want? I, want you know, I, was, I was doing something. And the father said, just come here. And something started to seem off. Right, yeah. And his father wouldn't come to him. He's, and he said, dad, I'm kind of scared. Just, just come to me. And his father said, you're fine. Just come here. So the kid ran back upstairs and said to his mom, hey, dad's being weird. And she said, I'm sorry? He said, dad's being weird. And he told her what happened. She said, your father's playing golf. Mm. And apparently the next, uh, pardon me, later that day when his father got home, he heard a, a hushed conversation and they moved pretty quick after. Really? And apparently when he was older, he found out that, yeah, there were other things that had happened that they'd noticed. Oh no. Yeah. I would love to know where that is here. Yeah. Again, it's, it's apparent. I, again, I think it's here. Yeah. I but, think it's here. Yeah. But I mean, I get it. His parents, at least they listened to him and believed him and oh, did, yeah, and yeah, did yeah. something about it. But yeah. What do you do? Do you tell your kid? To make them feel better that they're not crazy? Or yeah. do you just act like, oh no, everything's fine. And inside you're just freaking out. Well, how do you have the conversation? Yeah, just, uh, just you know, apropos of nothing. If you hear dad's <laughs> voice calling from the basement <laughs> or anywhere else, it seems odd. Don't go. Don't go. No, ask for proof. Yes. Ask him to come out and like show you his face. <laughs> Guess how many fingers you're holding up. Oh you know? my god! How do you even begin to broach I that conversation? I don't know how you do that. No, I... Once something's trying to lure your child... 
I would be leaving the house. Oh, 100%. Right? Like, there's no way. Oh, man. That, yeah. Yeah. No, Yikes. not good. Well, you, must feel, you must feel the same way with your kids. You're concerned for their safety. Oh, well, at least now I'm not scared anymore. Now I'm just annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. Uh, hey, you're the one with the best dad in the world, Mug. That I'm about to embed in your skull. <laughs> well, I would, yeah. Before I do that, though, we're going to go to a break. So that was Ghosts Along the Mississippi. I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, that was that, a lot those of fun. are some great stories. So we're going to take a quick break while I beat you into death with my new mug. And when we come back, we'll have our patron shoutouts and listener mail. Welcome back. Thanks to our researchers, Luke Greensmith and Anthony Germain for their work on this episode. And thanks to Sarah for taking care of graphics, Twitter, and the upcoming book club, mm-hmm. which we will be talking about shortly. Absolutely. Uh, before we do that though, we'd like to get to our patron shout outs. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our newest patrons. They are Alex Horton. Rainy Hobson. Uh, that is it for now. We are recording this episode about four days ahead of schedule. So if you do sign up between now and when the next episode comes out and you think, hey, why didn't those jerks name check me? That's why. Uh, we promise we'll get to you on the next show. And we'd really like to thank everyone for their support. We just can't tell you how much we appreciate it. You guys really, I mean, everyone who listens, we appreciate the hell out of you. Mm-hmm. But the folks who support us, we just appreciate you that extra bit because, well, you've Saved my butt. Well, and you're helping keep the show going. Oh, um, absolutely. It would be awesome if it was free, <laughs> but it's not. Uh, there's music and there's books to buy and researchers to pay off so they don't come to our house with lead pipes and so true. all those things. So you really do help us out a lot. So if you are listening and thinking, oh, I wonder if I should be a patron, the answer is yes. <laughs> we would yes. We would certainly appreciate we it. We would very much appreciate it. Head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. We have tiers at the 5, 10, 20 and $50 levels. And that gets you access to all kinds of stuff, including the, uh, advanced access to Luke's Luke lore series, which, uh, the third one just dropped for patrons today. You also get access to our water cooler, our soon to be renamed water cooler episodes. Our live show. Our live, yeah. Mm -hmm. Our monthly live shows, which is just an opportunity for us to hang out with you guys. You get copies of our ghost force magnet, patron sticker, Ian's Smash hit Christian country album, which Aware of gave, Wonder. Which somebody gave feedback on them. They're like, I thought you were joking. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was major. No, sadly, this is real. This is 100% real. This was my life. <laughs> you also get, uh, we have three signed art cards of my night photography. So again, head on over to patreon.com slash guys if you want to check that out. Next up, we have listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. 
As always, we want to thank everyone who writes into us, sending your comments, your stories, your suggestions, even your gentle criticism. And encouragement. And encouragement. We yeah. do appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. No, sometimes you're having a bad day and you get a really nice email and you think, man, okay, this is worth it. Yeah. I, I, I remember now why it is I do this. So we certainly appreciate that. We will say we're reaching a point now where we may not be able to respond to everyone, but we will always shout you out on the show. Yeah. No matter what, even if you don't necessarily hear back from us, know that we've read your email yeah. and we love it. We appreciate it. And again, we will make sure to shout you out always in this part of the show. So to that end, we'd like to thank Jeffrey, Doug, Joshua, Bethany, Rin, Talia, Julie, Ruth, Amanda, Selena, Raven, Meredith, Jane, C, Tiffany, Axel, Leslie, Allie, Kathleen, Kelsey, Alex, Monica, Nick, Vivian, Mark, Becca, Tony, Michael, and Tim. Oh, and Stevie. Oh, you threw an extra one in there on me. I just like to screw with you. What can I say? <laughs> so yes, thank you so much to everyone who wrote in. I cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. And we're still going to try to respond to as many of you as we can. Yeah. You just may not be able to get to everyone. And that's just because uh, the volume of email has gone up, which it's is wonderful. insane, but it's, what a great problem to have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You will get an acknowledgement, if not like a personal email. You'll that's, get oh, something yeah, back. Absolutely. So you'll know we got it. Yep. And if we got it, we read it. So, you know, I can promise you that. Definitely. Thank you so much. If you want to get a hold of us, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is the way to do it. If you happen to be in Victoria, you want to meet up, you want to do a ghost walk, send us an email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We'll see if we can make that happen. If Ian's not working that night, we may be able to take you uh, either uh, sort of uh, meet up with you before your ghost walk or possibly take you for a, a short one on our own. But we do try to mix it in with the company that does the walk so that uh, we're not taking anything away from them. And uh, the only thing we will say is, if you're coming to Victoria and you want to do a ghost walk or you want to hang out, you, you have to ask. We're like vampires. Yes. You have to invite us in. If we, yeah. if we, if you mention, oh, I'm going to Victoria, we're never in a million years going to say, oh, hey, would you like to hang out hang with us? Hang out with us because we're so cool. That's no. not a thing that happens no. in this world. But yeah, that's ghost3guys at gmail.com if you want to, uh, if you happen to be in Victoria and you think you might want to do either a ghost walk or, or just uh, a coffee. We're cool. Yeah, that's it. If we can make it work, we will. We have uh, two special announcements. Yeah. The first is that our book club is now officially open. Woohoo! So that's on Goodreads. You'll be able to find a link to that in the show notes. We're going to post a link on our Facebook page. Yeah. The group is called the Ghost Story Guys Book Club. So if you search for that on Goodreads, you'll find it. What a great name. I know, right? <laughs> and the first book we're going to be doing is Jason Haxton's The Dybbuk Box. And this book came out, I believe, in 2012-ish, maybe 2011. I picked this one because it's a great combination of possibly paranormal activity, with real, what's the word I'm looking for? Fakery, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, because Zach Baggins is in the news right now because of things going on with yeah. this haunted museum and he has the Dybbuk box at the museum, this book is a fascinating insight into the history, uh, the true history of the Dybbuk box. And so I, I just think it's a, a great way to start. And you can find that uh, really anywhere fine books are sold. That book's <laughs> available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Chapters, You'll be able to get it anywhere. So if you want to join the book club, it doesn't cost anything aside from the book. And just uh, head on over to Goodreads, look for the Ghost Story Guys book club, and we'll just be there chatting about the book. And we're not getting any money from that. Just oh, so no. You know, we're, no, this is just a no. way for us to share some of the books we like with you guys. Yeah. No, we are not making anything from that. <laughs> and thanks again to Sarah, who is going to be administrating the book club. So if you have any questions while you're in the forum, fire them to her, and she will, uh, she'll tell you. And if she doesn't know, she'll come to us and... We'll figure it all out. We're not totally sure what we're doing with this thing. But no, but Sarah's pretty smart, so she's, she'll, yep. she'll be okay. It's in good hands. 
The other announcement I wanted to make was just in support of one of our listeners. Uh, Elliot is a longtime listener of ours, and his film Method of Murder was just released on Vimeo. Nice job, Elliot. Yeah, congratulations, Elliot. So if you want to check that out, uh, again, I found it on Vimeo. I bought it on there, but I believe it's on a number of different streaming services. But uh, that's Method of Murder, so make sure to check that out. It's a cool. lot of fun. It's a hour-long documentary about the British crime novelist Jackie Rom. Oh. So make sure you uh, give that a look. I'd like to thank our musical guest, Bad Custer. The song is Bones Like Lightning, and that's from their 2018 self-titled debut album. You can find more from them at badcuster.bandcamp.com and on all the major streaming platforms. If you like their sound and you happen to be in the Pittsburgh area, they have five dates coming up. On June 21st, they'll be at the Mattress Factory Urban Garden Party. July 12th, Deutschtown Music Festival. July 19th, with Clever Girls at Get Hip Records. August 31st, with Minor Moon at Club Cafe. And September 14th, with Bad Bad Ants at Market Square. If you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys merch, head on over to our website at ghoststoryguys.com. There you'll find links to our Threadless and Redbubble stores. If you do buy something, make sure to send us an email and let us know. Yeah. And we'll send you some stickers as a thank you. We, we find out that someone bought something, mm-hmm. but we don't necessarily know who. So if you want the stickers, just forward us your uh, confirmation yeah. to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com and we'll send you a couple, yeah, a couple stickers as a thank you. We would love it if you could give us a five-star review on iTunes and everywhere else. Please. Podcast reviewed. It yeah. helps bump the numbers, gets more eyes on the show. And right. uh, actually, I just wanted to say that our numbers have really grown in the last couple months. Mm. And I have to assume it's because of people sharing the show. Thank you so, for doing that. Thank you so much for doing that. I can't tell you what that means to us. Because again, it just shows that you like it enough to tell people to listen. If for some reason you want to hear more of my voice, you can find me on my weekly music show, Largely the Truth. That's Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Pacific on 92.5 Stoke FM. If you're not in the local broadcast area, which you're probably not because it's a pretty small station, you can listen to the show online at stokefm.com or via the TuneIn app. And if you're in the Los Angeles area, I will be down there at the end of the month. If you want to get together, again, send us an email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Fire me a message on Instagram at uh, the Ghost Story Guys or Largely the Truth. I can't guarantee... I'll be able to meet up with you because I'm not going to be renting a car. I'm just going to be on foot and Ubering, but, uh, in LA, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm close to all the stuff I like, so I can, I can walk, That's awesome. but yeah, I'll be in sort of the Hollywood Los Feliz uh, area. So if, uh, nice. if you're around there, you want to get together, fire me a message and yeah, maybe I can't promise anything, but maybe we can make it work. Cool. I guess that's going to do it. All right. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. And yeah. until then into the darkness we go.
You can tell I'm not going to be including this. Wow. Just tell me what to read. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's an app called Manhunt. Of course um, there is. <laughs> oh, that's a good line. Oh, that's a good line. I This was minimally edited. I didn't have wow. to do much to it. <laughs> oh. Ooh, that's going in the outtakes. Oh, Lord have mercy. Pumping like well-oiled steam engines. <laughs> I don't know how it works. I was going to say, I don't think, yeah, no. Don't tell me. It's better I don't know. First, you need... Nope. No, no, no. Can't hear you. Can't hear you. Does that work? We're in the same room? No, 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 no. You can't see me. <laughs> you can't see Having done this 15-hour... <laughs> okay, let's just order the food. You just ate. How can you still be hungry? I always think about snacks. Yeah, that's that's not authentic. Shut the fuck up and say that. Right before we got to the bridge, it stopped turned around and faced us. That sounds like the bridge did it. I am Bridgetron. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I will take my price. <laughs> That's right. Oh, oh. oh, and it got worse. <laughs>